Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome back, or welcome if you're joining us for the first time. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you're here on this episode 73. Tell a friend. Hello. I'm Shelly Duvall. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm episode 73. Hello. I'm Shelly Duvall, and I am 73. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize it's seamless. That was seamless AF. That's right. We thought we were just honoring Shelly Duvall. Duvall. Mm -hmm. That's right. As we should. Yes. We also have Sigourney Weaver, Ripley herself, 73. Nice. Both Bill Nye and Anna Wintour who I believe took their romance public at the Met Gala this year are 73. I like Whoa, it. Th- those two? Yes. Together. Still not. Oh, all right. Not the Still science Nye, guy. the British actor, not the science guy. That is different. Okay, that is different. Performer of the Cerulean Sweater monologue from The Devil Wears Prada, Meryl mm-hmm. Streep, 73. Also, mm-hmm. the dingo mm-hmm. did get her baby as well. Oh, as yeah. We should, as we That's know right. from last week's story. It sure did. Dancing on the ceiling for Lionel Richie, who's 73. Who was just at the coronation with his fellow American Idol star judge, Katy Perry. He's an American Idol judge? Okay. Look, I'm I'm glad that you two brought the coronation up because Uh one of the great upsets of my week this week is the fact that also present at the coronation... My dark prince, my devilish bard, <gasps> Nick Cave, went as part of the Australian delegation. What? Edie. I know, and he's getting he's getting heat for it. Dump, dump his dump ass. ass. Look, I'll never dump him. It'll take a lot. I'll I'll say I'll never say never, but it'll take so a lot wait, for me to dump love, him. Will love overlooks many many red flags. He's not a look, he says I he don't addressed know. it in his he addressed it. Poorly in his newsletter this month, I know there is a there is a there's a lot of friction among Nick Cave fans on Instagram right now, and we're all like, <sighs> a lot of people are like, Nick, that's very not punk rock of you to to do this. It's sort of the I opposite. Don't know. It's sort of the fucking opposite. It, it it's really very, truly is. I know. Look, Edie, this is what happens this when is, you you idolize people. They will let yeah. this. You I know, down. I know. They always disappoint, and I. He put the prince in dark prince. I know, I know. He did. And well, now he is king. a prince, maybe. <laughs> He's just like I have Look, to support I'm, all the monarchies. I think we I'm should just so scrap our stories upset. today and just literally break. I think this we should down. really unpack this, Edie, mm-hmm. and what this means about you and, and us, uh, for that matter. And us, for I'm that so matter. Upset. I'm so upset about <laughs> because it. Because now, so now we have to be royalist, labeled royalist. By proxy. No, has, no we, by don't. Proxy. we don't. Yes, we do. We don't. Done. It's we too don't. late. It's he too late. says that he went for like the spectacle of it. And I'm like, I don't Girl, know. Girl, go to Cirque was du you, I know, but the, I did know. the government Look, pay for you to join that spectacle? Go see Celine in Vegas, all right? If you want to spectacle. I hate that this happened. I hate right, that this yeah. happens. Yeah. And my partner is in the next room. You can probably hear me saying this. I have not talked to him about this yet because I <laughs> feel personal shame about this development. Uh-huh. A that, common, that one's your, a hard your husband from the Commonwealth. Mm. Yes. Mm. It's this, also this from the Commonwealth. Trail. It's also a fellow Australian. Okay. Grew up yeah. mere minutes from Nick Oof. Cave. Who, and I'm also... Sad to say, 
Nick looked great. Oh, no, great. no, 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 Edie. Edie. Just keep digging great. your great. Let's cancel, just keep Edie. on moving. You're Hashtag digging yourself further. Cancel, Don't cancel Edie. me. Don't cancel Canceled. me. You're getting Don't. royally close to getting. Nick's getting royally, royally close. close. I'm so upset. I'm so Ow. upset. You heard it here. And I want to. There's another thing that I need to talk about with what happened this week. But first, first, Kevin, what happened in your world this week? Well, I am sitting here today. I think I'm 35. No. 34. I'm 34. You are 34. Yep. And I come to you a very broken human because I oh stayed out to like How's probably midnight last night. What? Oh we didn't even do things. We went and did karaoke at a Korean oh karaoke bar. God. Okay. That sounds oh, really fun. That sounds oh, amazing. Fun. But yes, I come, I come to the... Uh, a broken man just staying out till midnight last night, and I, were, I just don't know yeah. what to do. Yeah, I'm barely hanging on right now, but yeah. I'm here for everyone. I'm here for this episode. All right. I'm fully committed. Miss, how was your nice. weekend? Oh boy, what wasn't it? It was fine. I put some vinyl in my little like window pane, some iridescent. Ooh, so when the sun beautiful. hits, it looks like stained glass. <sighs> Lovely, beautiful. Yeah, and so, like, you also can't see past it, so it, like, blurs everything. And, like, the front door is, like, in direct line of my bed. So mm-hmm. if the doors aren't closed, right. I just worry that people can see oh, directly sure. can see. into my bed. For sure. Yeah. yeah, so until I get thicker curtains, because I just have, like, a sheer guy on there right now. Love a sheer guy. Mm. So it's really pretty. So I have it open, but I don't get direct sunlight, so we're going to see how it works yeah i uh i'll come by with a flashlight a- if it doesn't fully work for you and i'll just stand uh, outside with flashlight. just stand there and make loud but like quiet noises like you knock something over just a little bit and then shine the flashlight in jiggle oh, the yeah. handle a little bit so i know it's don't you. tell her what day oh I no no, no do don't it. tell me mm-hmm. i won't tell Let you what day surprise. the mm-hmm. only yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. i will do is i will drop my location pin since we both have iphones but it won't uh-huh. like ping you that i'm doing that so you'll just have to think is this kevin i need to check my <laughs> phone instead of just freaking out okay yeah but other than that i've just i i cleaned a lot i uh ooh, spring cleaning yeah i was on my hands and knees mm-hmm. on the lord's wow. day okay uh, no it Mess. was it was the other Lord's Day. It was yesterday, so I don't know if that counts. <laughs> it was the Seventh Day Adventist Lord's Day. That That's is exactly right. correct. You last That's week. correct. Yes. Well, you're going to hell. Go ahead. But like you know, like on your baseboard, like I live in an you you guys live in old places too. I live in an yes. old mm-hmm. old house. So like on the baseboards in the kitchen and the bathroom, it doesn't matter what you do in the corners. She's it's always black. Like yes. no matter what. And I've so, accepted like, it. So I have two, but I was in a, in a mood yesterday and I, I was determined. So I was on my hands and knees with bleach mm. and Kinky. a toothbrush no and, mess. and magic erasers. And God damn, if those corners are not still black, it was a complete oh, waste. Like the rest of it, it, like the baseboards, like they, they look beautiful. Mama. Dude, I I'm not even joking. I was thinking I about just spraying over it because I would absolutely problem solved. Then, like I 99 of the time I don't notice it, but every once in a while I see it, and I'm like, that's disgusting. My mm-hmm. corners are black. Yeah, I think pain is the next obvious step because it's clean. <laughs> it's thoroughly clean. Yes, it's been bleached too and disinfected. So yeah, absolutely. Just up now. So if you ever want to come to Uh my house and pretend that like you're in trouble with the nuns, so they're making you clean my baseboards with a toothbrush and bleach. um, That is that got uh, too sexual. I think that got too (laughs) like it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't just like. All I heard was like the nuns are mad at me and like I have to like clean it right or I'm gonna get in trouble. It's just my natural dom energy. I can't help myself. (laughs) Which really feeds off of me. So, Yeah, sure. You can hire me to pay me to clean your house and I'll be there in a jiffy. Great. Because my baseboards look like <laughs> not a charity. It's, it's not a charity, but I have a. I, I come at a discount. <laughs> there you go. You know, now you now you did it. Now you did it. I know. I mean, in all seriousness, 
in a very non-sexy way, I cleaned, I cleaned my kitchen. Edie, what was, tell us more about your betrayal. It wasn't just the betrayal of my other true love, Nick Cave. Sir Nick Cave. That bums me out. Sir. He's not Sir Nick Cave. He's not Sir Nick Cave. I don't know. Might as well be. Might as well be. Fuck. It's a new era. I'm so We're in the Charlesonian era. Probably. Whatever it's called. Yeah, he's Charlesonian. (laughs) Yeah, we're in the Charles zone. We're in the Chucky zone right (laughs) now. We're in the Charles entertainment zone. (laughs) Sorry. Charles entertainment cheese zone. Look, the other thing that was awful that happens to me this weekend is that my partner and I were convinced to go with friends to a new movie theater that opens uh, right in our neighborhood, like two blocks mm-hmm. away. Oh, wow. so great. So fun. We can go and That's see a movie, fun. right? A fun movie, a fun movie that's supposed to be fun and freewheeling and for kids called Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Mm-hmm. It's not for kids and it's not fun <gasps> and freewheeling. Why? This movie is filled to the gills with animal torture. What kind of animals? That's terrible. An adorable otter, an adorable (gasps) raccoon, an adorable walrus, and most horribly, an adorable (laughs) bunny who is made to, is mouthless, is made to have uh, mechanical spider legs kicking out from its torso and its, its actual bunny legs are just limp and useless the entire time. And the bunny is cognitively impaired. This film what the is hell? horrific. It's like got some backstory, like horrible backstory of Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. You, you, oh, right. And these other animals that he was housed in cages with were creations of the big bad guy in this movie who is like intergalactic eugenicist who creates Ooh. and destroys whole societies of chimera-like animal-human hybrids Mm. to create a perfect society. And when it doesn't work, he explodes the planet and starts again. Ooh. And... Sounds a little like God. And he thinks of himself as a God, right? And so the entire... A little bit of a It's not like there's... It's not like there's, like, one terrible flashback. The whole... Like, every five to ten minutes in the movie... For the four first three quarters of the movie, there are continuing horrifying flashbacks of this batch of animals in captivity being tested on, created for that purpose. And there's this sense of dramatic irony throughout that we, the viewer, know that Rocket Raccoon is the only one who's going to get out of this situation. And the characters, the innocent animal characters have no idea and think that they're going to be part of this new society. So I spent fully an hour and 45 minutes of this movie that is two and a half hours long, sobbing, full sobs, uncontrollable tears. We went with friends so we couldn't leave. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have bounced out of this thing. We were like begging the movie to stop it. It was <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, wow, that's that's. Don't that's, yeah. see this movie. Terrible. Damn. Well, I wasn't going to go see it anyway. But I do have a true crime story for you all. Ooh, yay! And here's the deal, like listener. You've heard about my week. I'm in Bummersville, and so by gum, I'm taking you to Bummersville with me. Uh, I had to watch well, Guardians we of the King. Galaxy 3. Nick went to King Charles's dumb, dumb coronation. We're in Bummersville. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, almost like 90% of a true crime situation is going to be Bummersville. So it's mostly okay. Bummersville. It's mostly yeah. Bummersville. And today's is one of those true crime stories that kind of stretches the limits of the genre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, please, while I readjust my situation here. Sorry. As long as it's not about Cabbage Patch Kids. It's not about Cabbage Patch Kids. I knew you were going to say that, miss. But it's, Listen, you it's wanted more to scar me and you succeeded. So Yeah, I did. I did it to you and I don't regret it. 
today's story is more of like a true law story, but it's it's oh. both historical and contemporary, and it's worth talking about now this week in May 2023. Okay. Today's story is Kids at Work, a very, okay. very brief overview of child labor in mm. the United okay. States. Yeah, that is in the news these days. Which company Yo, was it? Like, it's, there was a company recently in Texas, I think. In a oh, factory. yeah. It was a McDonald's. It was a McDonald's, oh, was a McDonald's that had like, little were, kids like, working there. Ten-year-olds. Ten-year-olds like, working. Two in the morning. Two in the morning Past for like 10-hour shifts. Like, Fuck like yeah. ten-year-olds on like the fryer. Shit. Not yeah. just like there, but like ten-year-olds working the like French fryer and shit like that. Yeah, and not getting paid. That. They don't, they weren't getting paid. Yeah. So... Anyway. Now, the rise of capitalism starting in the 1500s created kind of new social pressures. In 1575, England allowed use of public money to employ children to accustom them to labor and afford a prophylactic against vagabonds and paupers. So there was a Puritan belief that work was at the center of a moral life. Work was praised perceived idleness was scorned i think we and need again, to change also, the past tense on this, this right hasn't changed <laughs> it has there's not no changed. was there's no was or were <laughs> and also the concept of children has vastly changed throughout the century absolutely too. yes yeah it so has and we we're, we're limiting ourselves in this story to uh the kind of the u.s england to the u.s um okay. and there's the idea of you know children working um has been is a long one and persists in various ways throughout the world and it's a huge 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 concept and so i'm trying to keep this today's story as as narrowly tailored as possible Mm -hmm. in the 1700s the advent of manufacturing started finally more work was less complicated because we had machines to help the work along. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rudimentary machines comparatively, but machines hey, nonetheless. Were a big deal. Yeah. So for Protestant capitalists in England, simpler work meant more work opportunities for these lazy fucking kids. One industrialist in 1790 proposed building textile factories around London for kids to work at to prevents the habitual idleness and degeneracy that we're destroying so, the community. I think it's Consider important that yourself. like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that like these factories weren't just built and they didn't have enough workers. So they sent the kids in, they were built essentially for children to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that point is like often missed. Yes. Yeah. Kids were always part of the capitalist workforce. Mm-hmm. They're just little adults. Yeah. Things in America progressed similarly. Uh, colonial laws were modeled after British laws, and they looked into keeping children from becoming burdens on society. Again, we're talking about certain kids, poor kids, rich kids. Somehow, they didn't think of them as being idle if they weren't working. They had money. They could count yep. their money. Exactly. That's not idle. And this situation, of course, is in addition to the expectation of the children of enslaved people who were not considered children at all, but property, to work for the people who said they owned them. These two situations are happening parallel to each other, but we are talking about the child labor of so-called free children. As the 1700s went on, tensions were rising between England and the American colonies. I don't know, the revolution, ever heard of her? (laughs) The desire grew for an independent manufacturing sector in America, which meant more workers. Manufacturers employed women and children so that the man of the house could still do farm work at home. And that practice fulfilled some of the ideals of our now revered founding fathers. The Mm -hmm. Jeffersonian ideal of the yeoman farmer, meaning a Mm -hmm. non-slaveholding man who farmed his own small plot of land. That, Mm -hmm. That idea of like work for yourself was very present even then. Child labor also served Alexander Hamilton's commercial vision for America by providing more workers to support industry. 
When he was Secretary of the Treasury, Hamilton, a shithead who should not have a musical that makes him seem cool, wrote in a 1791 report on manufacturing that children who would otherwise be idle could become a source of cheap labor. (laughs) He also said that democracy was a disease. So yeah, keep that in mind too. But he rhymed it with Febreze. He did. He did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He did. And Those treaties. founding fathers had a lot of good ideas. That was <laughs> they one sucked. Of the good ones. Uh-huh. By 1820, children made up more than 40% of mill employees in at least three New England states. As the popularity of working kids grew, the way people started to justify it evolved. It wasn't just to strengthen the economic value of the towns and cities that these kids worked in or to prevent the idleness that was antithetical to the Protestant work ethic. Child labor was seen as good for kids because it would teach them to be enterprising and prevent them from being dependent on society as adults. Individualism. Exactly. Exactly. It's your fault if it doesn't work. Individualism, rugged individualism for the poor, socialist-style subsidies for the rich. Or the wealthy, yeah. Sounds right. Sounds right, and sounds very different from what we have now. It's different, Mm -hmm. right? It's different. No, it's correct, and it stays, and we have it now because it's correct. Because it's right. The founding fathers have never made a single mistake. Now we come to the part of the story where we talk for a little bit about orphan trains. Have either of you heard oh God. of yes. orphan trains? No, yes. I have not. I don't think. Well, Kev, you're in for a treat. The concept started with a guy named Charles Loring Brace and his organization called the Children's Aid Society or the CAS. The CAS established its first lodging house for orphan boys in 1854 in New York City. New York City. New York City. CAS emphasized that it would treat the lads as independent little dealers and give them nothing without payment. Through avoiding the prospect of idle children, CAS thought it was avoiding the growth of a future dependent class. They wanted to bring kids out of poverty by having them work an honest trade. To do that, they taught kids work skills like shoemaking, etc. But there were too many kids and not enough so-called honest jobs in New York City because labor unions in part refused to employ little boys. I guess fuck those unions, right? Yeah, what's their problem? Just inhibiting the rise of capitalism. It's everything that's wrong. But Brace had an idea. The CAS established trains to move orphan kids about 40 at a time out to the Midwest and the West. This movement of kids was seen in capitalist terms as kind of balancing the supply of youth in the cities with the demand for youth workers in rural areas. Mm. So between 1854 and 1929, like a quarter million kids, some orphans and some very much not just kids of poor parents who couldn't, super take care of them and there were no social safety nets in place to help them. And they just happened to be on the street at the time that they came by. Exactly. It's like when Miss finds a new cat that she can adopt on the street. It's exactly right. (laughs) I didn't see that collar. That wasn't my, I mean, that could be anyone's collar. It could have been anyone's cat cat sending themselves. Well, it's like you found that cat. With a collar, but looking ragged. And instead of taking that cat in yourself, mm-hmm. you put that cat in an Uber and the Uber's going to Indianapolis. Exactly. So it can work exactly. in a textile factory. Ex- yes. Well, these kids would be placed no with farmers. families and work as as rural farm workers for those oh. families. So th- the trains would stop in Midwestern or Western towns. The kids would get taken from the train to a local playhouse, a local theater, and put up on a stage. And there they would take turns giving their names or sometimes singing a little song. And people would come up to like prod them, look at them, check how many teeth they had. And that staging process is the origin of the saying that someone is put up for adoption. Yeah, it sounds also like the same less intense thing that you did at slave auction. Yes, it's, indeed. Well, the yes. entire operation sounds like very You are inspecting your property. Things. You are not adopting a child because you want. Yes. Right. 
This right. is this is what happens when when money is the most important this thing. This is them kicking the tires. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When money is the only goal, the only direction, these are not children who need to be placed in homes. These are workers. These are products that they need to move. And yet these orphan trains and the CAS is in large part considered the advent of kind of foster home yeah. placements. Ah. Because there, there were certainly a bunch of these orphan train riders who expressed gratitude for families they were placed with because uh, sure. they sure. felt that it was better than being on the street or being institutionalized, which is how they would usually treat so-called orphan kids. However, mm-hmm. a lot of other right. orphan train riders had tons of emotional hardships being ostracized from the families that they were placed with and really considered just workers. Sometimes siblings would be separated. Kind of similar situations, similar emotional situations that happen currently in foster systems. So after the Civil War, we had a void in the labor market. (laughs) From what? From what? (laughs) From what? Guess. So manufacturing jobs that would have been slave labor could be taken by nobody wants to work these days. Nobody wants to work these days. (laughs) They just all retired at the same time. (laughs) Often, formerly, the the line between free labor and and enslaved labor was often very blurry because formerly enslaved kids were functionally placed in the same position through apprentice agreements that bound the kids to their former so-called masters. So in those agreements, the parents would exchange the labor of the child in return for training provided by the former slave owner. And these agreements were frequently seen by courts as beneficial to the child because the former so-called master was in a better position to teach the child the habits of industry than the recently freed parents were. Shit's fucked up. Just homeschooling them. No, yeah, you're just, just like, well, turned- you can't. That's all I'm hearing. You're not, you're not good enough, parents. Yeah, you've indentured your child to the former slave owner. So, I mean. Exactly. And it's sort of similar as, as on a macro level it was the the change from uh, enslaved work to sharecropping work. And yes. it's like kind of functionally similar, mm-hmm. not the same. Yeah. So no. the 1870 census, one out of every eight kids is employed. By 1900, it was one in five. Between 1890 and 1910, at least 18% of all kids aged 10 to 15 were working. These are poor kids. These are not rich kids. See, that's complicated for me because I I started working when I was 14. I started And at a lot of people 12? did. I don't think but that you didn't do the jobs that No, these I was kids a waitress did. at an old folks home. <laughs> so, let's let's kind of talk about it. So, by the time the 1900s rolled around and the industrial revolution was in full swing, working class kids worked in tons of different industries in cities Little boys worked as newspaper carriers, shoe shiners, and couriers, including, as the documentary Newsies makes clear, a young and handsome Christian Bale. <laughs> uh-huh. Big Library's favorite movie. It's not Big Library's favorite movie. Newsies open the gates and seize the day. Uh, he, it, well, I won't say it's his favorite. It just is a movie that struck him as a child. It's a favorite movie. I mean, it does I've have never seen it. eternally okay. handsome Bill Pullman. It's good. It's good. And I hate musicals, but it's good. And Christian Bale's accent is wild. (laughs) Okay. It's New York. It's great. He's Welsh, (laughs) and you can tell. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the more dangerous work that kids would do. In rural areas, young boys, some under age 14, worked in mines, typically working in one of three jobs. Trappers, breaker boys, helpers. What is a trapper? Well, a trapper sits all day on a bench in the dark, waiting to open a wooden door to allow coal cars to pass through. They would have to open that door between 12 and 50 times a day, and the rest of the time, they are in almost complete darkness, sitting in a bench by themselves, doing nothing, with no external signal. Perfect. Just perfect work for a child. Great. A breaker's job was to use a coal breaker, a tool to separate slate and other impurities from the coal before it's stripped out. To do so, boys as young as 14 
would sit on wooden benches kind of like precariously placed above a conveyor belt so they could remove those impurities as the coal rushed by. If they didn't do it fast enough, they would get knocked about the head and shoulders by the managers. And at times, the dust from the coal passing by was so dense that the kids couldn't see what they were doing. And the work was so tough that sometimes kids would work their fingers so hard that their bones were exposed. Working to Work the bone. their fingers to the bone. Yeah, to yeah. the bone. So oh. other child coal Jesus laborers Christ. were helpers. And helpers, the like job description is pretty broad because they were kind of subcontracted by individual miners. They would frequently hire their own helpers. And sometimes like a dad who worked in the mine would hire their son His... to be the helper. Okay, so like their little like assistant. A miner miner. Yeah, a, a minor, 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 minor. Exactly. A junior minor, minor. The other huge industry that kids worked in in the 20th century was cotton manufacturing. Mm-hmm. In 1900, a quarter of all textile workers in the South, 25,000 people, were kids under 16. By 1904, Jeez. that number doubled to 50,000, 20,000 of whom were under 12. Oof. And mill owners saw kids as necessary for the operation of a successful mill. And company towns would emerge around these mills. The owner would provide schooling and shops and housing for mill families. And even little kids who were too young to work were seen as an investment in the mill's future. Sure. And there would be contracts between a head of a household binding the, fa- the entire family to provide labor for the mill. Under those agreements, the mill would school the kids from the ages of 5 to 12. Maybe, maybe not, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once the kids hit 12, the kids are required to start their working life in the mill. And whenever workers fell into debt, they could put their kids to work to pay the mill owner their living expenses. Despite these arrangements, according to records from one kind of early 19th century cotton mill, so this is kind of in the 1800s, families were frequently in debt to the mill all the time. Once store purchases and rent payments were deducted. So you could never work hard enough in the mill to get in the black. These company towns, like we still have to study them in law school. Yes. Because like they are so just like nefarious in like their setup. Like Ford had one of the most notorious ones. Like you get paid but you have to live in this town where your employer owns your house owns the goods that are sold at the store owns the store you are essentially paying them to live and work in their factory in their mine in their whatever it took a long time for them to be outlawed or yeah it's a a total monopolization of every necessity of life by your employer horrible yeah So how is all this child labor possible? Well, there was a really strong legal foundation for it for a long time because the right of parents to take advantage of their children's productive capacity was long recognized both in the U.S. and in England. Yeah. Just this phrase, children's productive capacity. Yes, because a child is the property of his father. And the father's right to benefit from the child's labor is seen as one of the natural privileges of parenthood. Reform was an uphill climb, but things did start to change in the beginnings of the 20th century. There was testimony in March 1912 by a 14-year-old Italian immigrant named Camilla Teoli. She worked at the American Woolen Company in Lawrence, Massachusetts. There was a strike. As a result of a new state law, there were maximum working hours in the mill were reduced from 56 to 54 hours per week. Mm. To make up for that, the mill owners sped up the machines to make up for that shorter work week and lower the pay. There was a uh, mill workers, adults and kids, walked out on strike and violence kind of broke out, uh, which became in this strike known as the Lawrence Textile Strike. To create publicity for the cause and to keep their kids safe, many strikers sent their kids out of town. Embarrassed kind of Lawrence, Massachusetts officials demanded that parents keep their kids in town because it was looking really bad for them. Hmm. Police (laughs) refused to let them board trains and launched an attack on the group. A seven-year-old got a black eye and citizens across the country were, were horrified. So the Congress had a hearing on it, launched an investigation So Camilla 
is a 14-year-old. She speaks to this committee. She says that a year before, a man came to her house and spoke to her dad. She'd been going to school, and the man asked Camilla's dad why she didn't work. And the dad said, well, I'm not sure how old she is. I'm not sure if she's old enough. I'm not sure if she's 13 or 14, mm-hmm. which is very common at this time. Kids didn't know how, how old they were. It wasn't. It didn't matter. It didn't. Well, it sort of mattered for these for nascent child labor laws, like for what you could do at certain ages. Mm. So the man replied, you know, for four bucks, I could get papers that look like real deal papers that say that she's 14 so she can work. Pays up, she goes. She's sent off to work. Two weeks into her time at the mill, her hair gets entangled in a machine Mm. and a portion of her scalp is torn off. Oh, man, man. She spent seven months in the hospital and was still (gasps) undergoing medical treatment. Her father was arrested for falsifying her age. And the mill, nothing happened. They were likely clear from liability because Camilla was illegally working as an underage minor. So the mill could say, well, we didn't know. We thought she was of age. How were we supposed to know? Camilla's testimony was really powerful. And, you know, there had been movements to curb child labor throughout the 1800s, but things didn't. So reform efforts became more widespread in the early 1900s. There was a a National Child Labor Committee, the NCLC, formed Uh in 1904. And their whole deal was to try and create possible draft possible legislation that states could use to curb child labor. There Mm. was during a strike at a mill in Kensington, Pennsylvania in 1903, at least 10,000 kids left work. A woman named Mary Harris Jones, also known as Mother Jones, Mm -hmm. might have heard of her. There's a magazine named after her now. Indeed. She took up their cause and drew publicity. She brought together a bunch of kids for a public demonstration, choosing kids specifically who had their fingers cut off and their hands Mm. kind of crushed Mm. and maimed. She took the kids on a march to Oyster Bay, New York, where President Teddy Roosevelt had a retreat. Roosevelt Mm -hmm. didn't meet with them. And his response was issued through an assistant saying that the children had the president's heartfelt sympathy, but under the Constitution, Congress had no power to act. The states alone have the power to deal with the subject. And that's going to be a a common thread. Certainly haven't heard that in this century. Never. Right. Thank God. In 1906, there was a proposal by Senator Albert Beveridge trying to use the government's ability to regulate interstate commerce to regulate Mm. child labor. Interesting. Okay. That didn't go anywhere then. But then in 1908, National Child Labor Committee hired a staff photographer named Lewis Hine and sent him across the country to photograph and report on child labor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the photos that we see of kids in, in, textile mills and mines and stuff. A lot of those were Lewis Hines's photos. Oh, uh, eventually it was a 1916 act called the Keating Owen act mm-hmm. that was based on beverages proposal, trying to use the Congress's ability to regulate interstate commerce. Cause that's for something to be federally in, in Congress's purview to be able to pass mm-hmm. a law about it has to have to do with interstate commerce, not just commerce within States. So Congress passes a law called the Keating-Owen Act that's based on Beveridge's proposal. Shithead President Woodrow Wilson does sign it into law, but the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional in a case called Hammer versus Dagenhart in 1918 because the court said that it overstepped the purpose of the government's powers to regulate interstate commerce. In its opinion, the court delineated between Congress's power to regulate production and to regulate commerce. And they said, well, this child labor laws are about production. And that all happens inside a given state. Where those things go once they're produced, who cares? Or who produces them? Yeah. And there was a second child labor bill passed in 1918. It was called the child labor tax law. It also tried to take an indirect route to regulate child labor, this time trying to use the government's power to levy taxes. But it was also Hmm. uh, found to be unconstitutional in Bailey versus Drexel Furniture Company in 1922. The court reasons that, quote, the power of Congress to regulate interstate commerce does not extend to curbing the power of the states to regulate local trade. 
So there was the, there was little room for federal legislation. There were it, national efforts to curb child labor didn't go anywhere until uh, the passage of the Fair Labor Standards Act in 1938 which was also challenged before the Supreme Court. But this time in February 1941, the Supreme Court reversed its previous decisions, especially in Hammer versus Dagenart, and mm. upheld the constitutionality of the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is still in force today. So cool. No more child labor, right? Absolutely. We have the Fair Labor Standards Act. Well, we ended slavery and there was no more slaves. Exactly. That's true. That's true. Well, <laughs> one place... W- there was a big gaping hole in the Fair Labor Standards Act. And that so hole. Gaping. Look. Dirty hole. I know. Look. Goatsy was jealous. Goatsy. <laughs> we just said, we both checked, <laughs> we both said Goatsy. <laughs> well, one, one industry that the Fair Labor Standards Act does not regulate is farming. And I, I live in an area yeah. that that is. Common. Now, looking at a website for the National Farm Worker Ministry, and they go into the idea that the stereotype of a farm worker is usually an adult male, but hundreds of thousands of kids and teens work as harm- hired farm laborers in U.S. fields. And it's tough to know how many there are because precise data on youth farm workers don't exist. Wonder why? We probably I'm don't want to know. Experts estimate that there are around half a million farm workers under the age of 18. And many of these kids are undocumented. And those whose parents have papers might use their parents' social security numbers in order to work off the record. Mm. Yeah. And even in another context, like um, with Amish people, they're not allowed to go to school after the eighth grade. It's a it's a Supreme Court case, something the Yoder. And it's because they've learned everything they need to know right. for their futures by the eighth grade. And so by the eighth grade, you are you're working on the farm. And honestly, most people don't even make it all the way to the eighth grade because what's the point? And they start working earlier. And it's perfectly yeah, it's legal. Yeah. Well it yeah. For instance, unlike other occupations, kids 12 and younger with a special waiver can legally work in agriculture. As of 2018, these are the Department of Labor's standards for kids working in the fields. Kids of at least 16 years old can perform any job, including agricultural occupations declared hazardous by the Secretary of Labor at any time, including during school hours. Yeah. Minors who are at least 12 can be employed outside school hours with written parental consent or on a farm where the minor's parent or person standing in place of the parents is also employed. That, the idea of if your mom or dad or parent works there, that you can work there, that is old school cotton mill helper stuff. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's also the, uh, the minor yeah, the, thing too. Yeah, the minor system. helper stuff. Yeah. That doesn't sound like it flies in any yeah. other industry. Only farm work. Is there an explanation for why child labor laws don't affect farming? Like, why are we still allowing? Well, don't we have some of the most farms? productive farms? Yes, it's because it's the the there's too much money. money honey. Oh, is it because, because money, money is, is more important, important than the the health and well being yes, of a and child? I'm glad that you brought up the health and well being of these kids because farm work is. Crazy yeah. hazardous, and it's done in really extreme conditions. Yeah, because kids' bodies are still growing, and they're continuing to develop mentally. Their brains are not fully cooked. Not until kids you're are even more vulnerable to the harsh conditions because kids are going through growth spurts, which can decrease their flexibility and increase their susceptibility to musculoskeletal injuries. Using tools designed for the muscle power of an adult can have really dangerous consequences on kids. Kids operate these heavy machineries unsupervised and without being fully trained. Operating large machinery like tractors um, has resulted in tragedy for child laborers and kids using dangerous tools like sharp knives. And as well, kids experiencing heat exhaustion and stroke and dehydration and death Kids are less aware of their body's functions and are less able to recognize when they're experiencing signs of heat stroke. And kids are exposed to toxic pesticides at a very early age that can affect them for the rest of their lives. 
It's horrible. So when we talk about child labor in the United States, as we are now in states like Iowa, who they just passed a law sponsored by the restaurant lobby to pass repeal of child labor protections, uh, that'll allow uh, kids as young as 14 to work uh, in roofing, construction, (laughs) demolition. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Teenagers... Older than 13 are going to be able to work up to six hours a day until as late as 9 p.m. during the school year. It used to be until 7 and until 11 p.m. in the summer. Currently, teenagers can only work four hours a day in Iowa. Governor Kim Reynolds said the bill is aimed at developing a strong work ethic in children. Because that's and all And allowing them to work to get ahead in life or save money for college. Does this development of strong work ethic language sound familiar to you? I think it does. Yes. And Reynolds said that she's going to sign this bill. And this is days after, you know, last week, we, as we talked about it, as we started this story, hundreds of kids as young as 10 were found to be working at various McDonald's locations in Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, and Maryland. Oh, no. Yeah, Maryland was Mm -hmm. a big offender. And Once this Iowa bill is signed, Iowa will be the second state this year to eliminate labor protections for kids. Mm -hmm. Arkansas governor and second generation shithead Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed a law in March that rolled back age verification requirements for workers under 16. A nepo shithead. (laughs) So so this is is what it means when um, people say they're pro-life. They are pro having children uh, because that means that they are your property and you can do with them what you will. It doesn't matter if a 14-year-old wants to work in roofing. If their uncle is a roofer, then they're going to go and do that anyway. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Anything that has the potential to negatively impact the economy overrules the well-being mm-hmm. and the logic and the reason yes. of anything that we do because in this also, country. children are viewed via Republican stance. They are burdens on society. So that's, that's the whole right. work ethic. You got to get them exactly. working. Yes. This is stuff yeah, because they don't want handouts. Hundred years ago. These are things, these are arguments that were made five years Because these, these are required for, for capitalism yeah, exactly. to continue. Exactly. It's the basis of a, it is the only reason we have this country is because it was built off of free labor mm-hmm. of slaves and then and later cannot, children. These aren't like we want kids to mm-hmm. have work ethics. It's exactly. we need bodies what it to is. complete work. The work ethic work. lie is this a lie. This is about a labor force. It's I want to summarize uh, the findings of the Economic Policy Institute's report from March 14th, 2023, mm-hmm. to close things out. Violations of child labor laws and proposals to roll back child labor protections are on the rise. The number of children employed in violation of existing child labor laws has increased 37% in the last year. And in the last two years, at least 10 states have either introduced or passed laws rolling back child labor protections. Attempts to weaken child labor standards at the state level are part of a coordinated campaign that are backed by industry groups intent on eventually diluting federal standards that cover the whole country. So this is not, these things are not cropping up in various mm-hmm. states by accident. No. It is absolutely a coordinated effort by industry to roll back these And they put them around the conservative-leaning circuit courts too? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where you're located in that system mm-hmm. is, yeah. is plenty important. The uh, EPI also finds that Child labor force participation has declined over the past 20 years, and that decline reflects a steadily growing group of young people who want to complete high school and obtain additional education to increase their own long-term employability for themselves rather than short-term so-called unskilled labor. Exactly. We need we need unskilled labor, and we need to get all of these illegals out of here so we can put our kids in those exactly, spots. Exactly. Exactly. So I this um, 
economic policy institute report because otherwise really what are they doing going to school the lazy fucks exactly Just- exactly and y'all made a really really fucking good point about how these these lies about we're just trying to get kids to be more independent and develop strong work ethics. And it's really, it's for them. Children do not need to be independent. They do not. They do not. It's all, these are the same. They should not be lies that have been told for 500 years to diffuse the idea, the true idea that because capitalism requires constant ex- growth of profit margins, constant expansion of profit margins, the only way to do that is to reduce <laughs> labor costs. And yep. one surefire way to reduce yes. labor costs is to employ and That's children. not something we discussed, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, like, like an adult is not going to take a quote-unquote menial job for seven twenty-five for that um, minimum wage, but a 14-year-old would. Exactly. So I just thought, I thought yep. that this, this subject was timely, and while, you know, child labor law yeah. violations are not necessarily true crime, I think it's that a crime. the... It's 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 a fact yeah. and it's a crime and it's, and it's our show and we do what we want and it's truly <laughs> happening and it's happening and it's it's timely and I don't think people think about this I don't think people think about child labor laws they'll or start to now because it's in anything. headlines again I hope so but yeah, and I, that, I do haven't. truly sure. hope that people sure. talk about um, the very very young children mm-hmm. who have been this whole time employed. Yes. yes. Both on the books and off in farms across the country. Yeah. The way that we it's treat, really especially migrant workers who are children, is unconscionable. Yeah. So Truly. these crimes are, if not always legal crimes, they are certainly moral crimes. And mm-hmm. uh, it's our goddamn show when I wanted to talk about kids oh working. Oh my God, and fuck so yes. I did. And the people... And the people passing these legislations are fucking criminals anyway. So it all goes back to true crime. They are. Oh, my God. Oh, no. yeah. Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor. The worst of the worst. A lot of the uh, the kind of sponsors of this bill, the, the industry people behind the bill are also surprise, surprise, supporters financially of these various Republican governors <laughs> and uh, legislators. How fucking know, dare you? Okay. You're besmirching the good name. The grand of the old party. Who legislate our lives. Listener, so, I, if you get anything job. out of this today, uh, please get this if you live in America. Um, start, if you haven't already, start giving a shit about your state level politics. Mm-hmm. Start giving a shit. Because guess who started to give a, a shit? a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. The right wingers and the crazy wackadoodle yep. moms. Yep. They're the ones. And guess who's always given a shit? Mm-hmm. Big industry. They have mm-hmm. always given a shit. Mm-hmm. And their boots are on our necks. We live in a country where corporations are mm-hmm. people, right? Think about what that means. That you as a human, as a person in this country, have the same or less than rights as a business and that's because we don't care about people we care about business and the money it can make us so right. just and this story shows yeah. that we I don't have know I, I don't know how to stress way. that in any right. other way always and it's never no. worked and it's never been no, good it never has so Eddie. thank you uh kevin and miss for uh letting me thank tell you, this story Sorry, I got Look, heated. We're in Bummersville. <laughs> Nick Cave went to the coronation. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is trash. Royalist. Everything is bad. Everything is bad. You had Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Realm on your... Yeah, like, come on now, Evie. God damn it, Kevin. Yeah. Oh. King. That's on your weekend I mean, bingo card. Weekend bingo card. I'm so card. mad. Well, I'm, I'm here to give a... My... my my spook today is actually pretty lighthearted. I'll say it. Nice. Perfect. It does yeah, take ghosts, fun zone, baby. But it's going to be fun zone ghosts. Oh, oh I yeah. love ghosts. We're going to have a little right. good time. We love a ghost. Yes, ma'am. All right. So it has been five whole calendar years since I've traveled to New Orleans. 
my first and only time there so far wow. was back in 2018, and I went with a group of college used to be friends. Uh, it was a oh, big wow. trip. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I'm not bitter at all. I'm not oh, bitter wow. at all. I'm not going to compromise my Christianity. We can't even see the sun through the shade. But <laughs> and I'm not going to put them on blast. You um, are a teacher and mentor, <laughs> and a woman of class I, energy. How dare you? <laughs> I'm a- I'm a mentor. mentor. (laughs) So New Orleans, it was a big trip for me because it was also, um, because it was the first traveling trip that Big Library and I went on together. Ah, And it was the first time Big Library would meet those old friends of mine. Oh, okay. okay. Meeting of friends. He met those friends That's a big deal. Yes, it is. So New Orleans, that city. That really made me feel some sort of way when I was there. It hit all the right buttons for me with its uniqueness in American cities and everything that it has going for it, of course. All the stuff that we've already talked about in the pod before. And I have not done a story about New Orleans on the pod since, what, episode five when my spook was about the yellow fever? Yeah, when you did Mm -hmm. the yellow fever. It was a long time ago. Yeah, right. Baby Edie's first episode. Baby Edie's premiere episode. It was our long-term guest Edie. Her, mm-hmm. her premiere. Premiering. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, baby Uncle Edie. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today, I'm fixing to talk about a specific establishment in the Crescent City. One that I think you'll find shocking is a gay bar. What? No. But not just any gay bar. No. A gay bar on Bourbon Street. <gasps> but not oh, just sexual. But not just any gay bar on Bourbon Street. <gasps> but a gay bar on Bourbon Street open 24 hours a day. <gasps> oh, God. What? Oh, no. Is that safe? That's, wow. <laughs> it's uh, New Orleans, baby. Hour. 24 So just like seven in the morning eating yes, your eggs in a gay ma'am. bar. All right. All right. And, why not? And again, not All just right. talking about a gay bar on Bourbon Street that's open 24 hours a day, but a haunted gay bar on Bourbon Street that's yes. open 24 yes. hours a day. Yes. The yes. establishment's name is Cafe Lafitte in Exile or Cafe Lafitte oh. en Exil for you French speakers, probably. I don't know. I didn't I take love French. that. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. Good enough. Mm, yeah. Any So, found in New Orleans' famous French Quarter, Café Lafitte in Exile opened its doors in the year 1933 of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christina Christ. Dang! <laughs> they- <laughs> was not expecting a Christina. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they opened in 1933, right. and they haven't shuttered since which makes Café Lafitte the oldest continuous gay bar in these United States of America, baby. Suck it, conservatives. Suck it, Corona. Can't get so rid of it. Has it been a gay bar since It has been a, um, a queer establishment oh. since the 30s. Absolutely has. Excellent. For our Oakland, California listeners, I guess I should stipulate there's also another bar on that coast that claims the same title. It's called the White Horse Inn, and it too has been operating since 1933, but whatever. <gasps> They're not the in New intrigue. Orleans, so fuck it. Intrigue. Yeah. No, fuck you, California. Both of them, I'm sure, <laughs> were speakeasy types that were pre uh, during Prohibition, sure. which uh, for our foreign listeners right. were between the years been. 1920 and 1933 when the production sale of alcohol Didn't was... Work a criminal offense and that did not take and that's how we got organized crime in america and sure did we shot ourselves in the foot with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) so speaking of its name cafe lafitte was named so because originally the bar was situated above a famous old building at 941 bourbon street known as lafitte's blacksmith shop because the famous privateer slash pirate slash plunderer, whose name was Jean Lafitte, had his black shop there in the late 1700s. Oh. All right. All right. So for the first 
20 or so years of its existence, the bar was above Lafitte's blacksmith shop, and it was managed by a woman named Mary Collins, who was an unapologetically lesbianic lesbian motherfucker. Yes! Oh, yes. Yes! Big ups to Mary Collins. We, we, we stand an original lesbian here. We love it. Café Lafitte at the time drew a mixed crowd of lesbians, homosexuals, and even some heteros, I think. Probably. Ooh, look. <laughs> problematic bachelorette parties have always yes. needed to happen somewhere. So it's definitely always had like a mixed crowd. It's definitely more of a, I would say, homosexual queer space these days. Hom- homosexuals only. Homosexuals only. But in the 1950s, with rising tension between the bar and the landlord that owned the building of Lafitte Blacksmith Shop, then bar manager... Tom Kaplinger moved the bar location down the street from 941 Bourbon to 901 Bourbon, where it is Ooh. currently. And that's when they tacked oh. on the In Exile. Oh, uh, cute. Okay. The cute. camp there. Yeah. Very camp. Yeah. Love it. And at the grand reopening party of Cafe Lafitte in Exile in 1953, patrons were invited to dress up as their favorite historical exile including Oscar Wilde, Napoleon, Dante, you know. And as a complete side note to my spoopy story, but this one I had to have in, and it is for you, Edie. I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. I found out that the manager who at the time, Tom Kaplinger, he was a father of an actress named Grace Zabriskie. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? Grace Grace. Zabriskie. Zabriskie. I can give you a hint if you want. Hint me. All right. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. Twin Peaks, baby. Twin Peaks. Grace Brisky played Sarah Palmer. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. I did not know that actress's name. She was a New Orleans native, lived there, died there. Her father, Tom, ran the gay bar that we're talking about today. Love that there's a Lynchian Twin Peaks reference in Mm -hmm. this story. (laughs) As I said, we are talking about a haunted queer joint, y'all. A 90-year-old queer joint. The bar Mm. has played a host to a number of ghosts throughout the decades because homosexual luminaries of their times flocked to the bar. And so it's no wonder that stories persist today that some of those homosexual luminaries have never really left after the closing time bell. I don't blame them. Notably, if you're lucky, you may hear the faint wispy lisp of one Mr. Truman Capote. I was going to guess that Truman Capote is there. Oh, yeah. I would love to have. Oh, that would be so nice. Yeah, you can uh, often spot a ghostly Truman in the stairwell that leads up to the upstairs bar. So he likes. Oh, yeah. He loves to watch the comings and goings of the men's. And another luminary, you may have heard of him. His name was Tennessee Williams. Oh, yeah. Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? <laughs> yeah, she's often seen drinking at the bar at her favorite spot. Tracy Williams drinking? What? I'm surprised. Yeah, well, this was a local watering hole for Tennessee after all because That's right. uh, he did often live in New Orleans. But when he was in New Orleans, you bet your ass he was down at the Cafe La Vite. Bet your ass. In the book Queer Hauntings, Ken Summers wrote about the bar patrons of Cafe Lafitte that claimed to have occasionally seen the ghosts of deceased individuals that were fond of the bar. That sounds appropriate. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there has to be. I have no information or confidence in anything, so I can't say that it's not. If there's going to be ghosts, there's going to be ghosts at this bar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's in New Orleans, a kind of like spooky, cool city. Indeed. Yeah, it's got to be. Oh, yeah. And in addition to more unknown individuals that may haunt the place now, patrons have also spoken about a well-known handsy ghost creepily named Mr. No. Bubbly. Oh, no. no I hate Ew. Mr. Bubbly. No. no. Get out of here. Get out of here. Power of Christ compels you. <laughs> and Mr. Bubbly, by all accounts... Loves nothing more than pinching people's butt cheeks. 
<laughs> what a creep. Although it uh, could be time appropriate, depending. Yeah, Mr. Bubba clearly hasn't gotten the memo that even ghosts can be held accountable for their actions. So keep oh, your hands right. to yourself, bubs. No matter how oh, cutesy right. you think your name is, it still creeps me out. Knock it off. Hashtag yeah. ghosts Stop too. It. Yes. Stop being gross. Just say hello. Just maybe say somebody hello. Go, maybe, maybe that's somebody's thing. I just really need – I need someone to come up to me and pinch my Try them a, a different way. You know, if you, if someone takes a picture and they see an, like an orb next to them, just make it into the shape of like just- – a middle, a middle finger. finger or something. You know, have fun Ooh. with it. You don't have to assault people. Fuck you. <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> so, Big Library and I did check out the place while we were there, but at yep. the time, I didn't know anything about its history, ghostly or otherwise. Uh, it was just a gay bar that we saw as we left the Voodoo Museum, which is mm. so fucking cool. I just, yeah, I uh, bet that's cool. So fucking cool. So it's catty corner to the Voodoo Museum. So we went oh, there. Cute. We grabbed a, a little midday Bloody Mary, of course. Oh, yeah, perfect. Lovely. For the middle I of mean, the day. You're in. Vac- you're on vacation. You're in New Orleans. You're on Bourbon Street, Mama. You're, gonna you're get on Bourbon Street. Bloody Mary. You just it's left a the twenty-four-hour bar. And for the record, it is not right now. Twenty-four hours. It had to stop that ah. from the pandemic. But it's it's open. Yeah, it makes sense. But not twenty four hours. I don't know that we need it to be twenty four hours. We don't. No, we yeah. don't need it to be twenty four hours. <laughs> so, like I said, sadly, I did not have any ghostly gay stories to speak about personally. There were no sissy specters that pinched my butt. Sissy specters. I didn't see Truman Capote, arguably America's gunkle of the true crime genre, right? That's right. Essentially created what we understand to be. (laughs) So I did not see uh, Truman Capote. I did not see a Tennessee Williams, who is, my opinion, America's gunkle of plays that Jessica Lang shines in on Broadway. Agreed. Agreed. So true. Agreed. I fully intend to to return to the Crescent City as soon as possible. I would love. I would love. And so when I do. I will come back with excellent memories that I will report back to. Hopefully, I will see one of those ghosts when I go. You gotta ah. see a good, good, good ghost. A good, 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 gay ghost. Yes, <laughs> ghost mama. <laughs> and thank you for listening yeah. to my story about the haunted Cafe Lafitte in exile on yeah, Bourbon Street. So great! I've Love never it. heard of this place. I know I the big library is a, a, a historian of gay bars and. And mm-hmm. hangouts. So uh, it was very cool to hear about such a long standing spot with some spoopy elements. I some spoopy sure. elements. But merci, mon ami. De rien. De rien. Well, I'm not going to pretend, pretend to speak French, but. Y'all, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to just say hey or hit us up, you can do so on, at Instagram at Creepy Increase Pod. You can also shoot us an email at creepyincreasepod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're ever interested in our sources, you can go to creepyincreasepod.com where we update those weekly. And then if you're feeling so inclined, drop us a little review. Yes. It helps a lot and we appreciate it. Five stars, or I will summon the ghost of Truman Capote and have Truman read you to Phil. <laughs> you don't want it. It will just ruin you for the rest of your life. He is. So just give us the five stars. Do it. Listener, thank you so much for joining us this week for episode 73, the Bruce Springsteen age episode. Oh, all right. And until next time. Yeah.